Hi, uh, this is Martin J. Weiss uh, with Stephen J. Schwartz, and I am the author of The Second Son, which was released in August uh, of this year, and I'm starting my promotions on Flamingo Coast, which is releasing in January. All right, and this is Stephen J. Schwartz with Martin J. Weiss. We share something in common, our middle names, and I am uh, promoting a collection of essays called Hollywood versus the Author, which features essays by people like Michael Connolly and Lawrence Block, Tess Gerritsen, and, and a number of uh, wonderful authors who have sold their works to Hollywood and then tell the tales of horror and, and, and uh, craziness that ensue thereafter. I also wrote a couple of uh, uh, mystery thriller novels called Boulevard and Beat, and I'm very happy to be here with, with Martin. Um, so good to meet you on online, Martin. Great to meet you. We haven't talked yet, and I've been familiarizing myself with your work, which, I, by the way, I loved uh, Hollywood uh, versus the author, which I just finished. And the, the first thing I noticed that we we either have a lot in common or, or we're complete polar opposites. Because starting with our name, like you mentioned, we both use our middle right. name. You're Stephen J. Schwartz, which Schwartz means black, and uh, Martin J. Weiss is uh, Weiss means white. So uh, oh. that, that, that's kind of serendipitous. That is awesome. And oh, there's there, more. Uh, I noticed that your pub date, I noticed your pub date was November 13th, which is my actual birthday. Oh my and God. we we both both written two crime thrillers, right? Yes, that's right. And and here's the, here's the the funny thing is that uh, you just published a book about uh, authors uh, experiences in Hollywood and I just transitioned from being a Hollywood filmmaker to to being author, so author. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we I, first of all, I love all these coincidences, and in our names, by the way, also, Martin J. Weiss, that's four syllables, Stephen J. Schwartz, four syllables as well. Very interesting, very interesting. I get maybe it's, it's the way to, to try to be successful in this industry as an author is to have your middle name. and You, you, have, know, to have, and you have to have a middle name, J. Did you, that's, right. that's your legal name, I take it. That is my full name, yeah, J-A-Y, exactly. So, so I wanted to ask you about so you what you came from from making films, and I and I you know read over your bio and I was really impressed. And I actually saw some of your commercials. I saw your Renault commercial on your on your website, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, it was really really well made, and um, and I was amazed that you were able to travel you know all of Europe in the course of making that commercial. But so why did you choose to to go from a career in directing commercials and feature films to becoming an author? Yeah, I, I do everything backwards. No, it's, it's a it's a long story, and and it's it's even gosh, when I go back far enough, it's even possible that our, our paths have crossed because you, you used to work for uh, William Peterson, right? You're the development executive, Wolf King. and yeah, Wolf, and right Wolf out King. of film school, uh, I wrote a screenplay with a writing partner, and and. It, it, I remember going to that company. I don't remember how, how you know, I remember having a meeting there. But um, soon thereafter, I, I kind of fell into doing commercials. It was, you know, I finished film school in New York. I, I moved out to Los Angeles with hopes of making movies, not knowing how to do it. And I got an opportunity to work in an advertising agency, which allowed me to start directing TV commercials. And it just went from there. And so my first uh, opportunity to do a film was uh, for uh, John, a John Carpenter sequel, which was a great yeah. experience. We shot in Thailand and, and uh, it was a action horror film, I guess you'd call it. And uh, it was a great experience, not a great film, not a great script. And right. 
from from that well, experience, how, how you, I, just, I started writing because I wanted to write my own material. So how how did you transition? Because I know a lot of guys who have have directed commercials, and it's not really an easy transition from directing commercials to directing a feature film and getting an opportunity like that to to you know be executive produced by John Carpenter. So how how did that transition uh, transition occur? It is, it is a very uh, difficult transition, and you have to find some, some odd opportunity usually. And you kind of pointed out my Renault commercial, funny enough, which, which had a part in that. I, I thought of myself as, a, because I went to film school and I was such a cinephile, I, I thought of myself as shooting cinematic commercials and treating each one like a little movie. And the Renault commercials were a long series, I think I shot 14 or 15 commercials, where it was an ongoing story where... A girl gets stood up at a, no, a guy gets stood up at a wedding at the church and he gets in his Renault and goes from country to country looking for his rock and roll girlfriend. So with with his friends and it it starred young Italian little starlets and and, and TV stars. So it was, it was fun for the people in Italy and around Europe. And it, it got got a lot of play and a lot of international attention. And because it was an ongoing story, it translated well to, Help, help sell me as a, as a feature director. So that was, mm-hmm. that was, that was a good, uh, a big help to, to doing that. Plus I, I was writing and pitching around town and, and, and preparing to, you know, to, to fulfill that dream. So a lot of things had to fall into place actually for that to happen, even with a, a smaller film. So you were, you were in LA at that time? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, booking for the advertising agency and then out pitching and and the John Carpenter piece was that a story that you had written or is that somehow no attached <laughs> no God no. no I'm just kidding um, no it was it was um, a sequel to John Carpenter's uh, movie called Vampires uh, and they had a script and that was that was part of the experience with commercials because they're thirty seconds you can get a concept that. You know, they're concept driven as well or story driven as well. Usually the better ones have have better conceits, right? You could make a commercial funny or look good in 30 seconds and it could it could work. You know, even if the yeah. script isn't that great. And I thought I could do the same with a movie, but it was tough, you know, and I and I kinda realized along the way that the producers just wanted make me to make it look good. And whenever I try to change the script, they kinda laughed and <laughs> they said, No, you don't have time to change it. We have we have, you know we're all prepped and ready to go. And once you, once you prep a film, it's like a train going. So yeah. it's you know, the Roger Corman uh, school of filmmaking. Just it kind of was, that, that was, that was about 10 years ago, uh, that film. And it was a, I think a five, $5 million film. So it wasn't super low, you know, yeah. uh, and we were shooting in Thailand. So it was probably like a $10 million yeah. film. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So why the, why did you want to write a novel then? And you're you are a very good writer. I haven't. I've only just started the second son, but you know it's already. You know, I've read a couple chapters and it's completely captured my attention. You know, it's a great concept and it's very good writing. So, uh, I guess you've been you focused on writing all throughout school. I imagine too. I did, and I you know when when I started out in film school, even I um I, I was struggling between focusing on screenwriting versus directing and directing just seemed more fun. But I kind of always, my undergrad degree was in journalism and I always thought of myself as, as someone who wanted to write. And I started writing screenplays more seriously right after that, that John Carpenter film, just because the films that I was getting offered after that were not my, the type of films I wanted to make. So I started writing my own and 
there was a film, there was a script that won, uh, it won an award called the Best Screenplay Award. It was a $20,000 award that Amazon Studios gave out when they started going. And I, and I won yeah. that, that award, which was, was a great honor. And it went to development. I th- it's kind of a funny story. We wrote, rewrote it probably 20 times just going through the, as you right. know, the development process. And it just went through yeah. many iterations. And we did a motion comic to, to stream online to test with audiences, all kinds of stuff. It went on and on and on. And I don't know. I think it's because I met a publisher through that experience who encouraged me, but I, I, I was writing so many versions of the story. I kind of went back to the very first version and novelized it. And, oh, okay. and I was just like, I don't know why I just wanted to complete it. I wanted to finish it. And yeah. the publisher published it, a very small publisher. And I, I went to Thriller Fest that summer and they had asked me to be on a panel for screenwriters. And I met, I met my agent there. I met uh, my literary agent and talked to a lot of people, met a lot of authors, and I've always been a, a huge reader, a uh, you know, big fan of thrillers. So yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I saw a business model that just said to me, this is pretty neat that these people write a story, they complete it, and they put it out in the world. Yeah. And I yeah. just like the sense of, you know, I had so many projects in development at different stages and it, it's so out of your control to get something made. And yeah. even if you do get something made into a film, it turns into something other than you intended, which isn't always bad. It's a process and, and it, it's a more collaborative process. And yeah. it needs to be, it, you know, when you go in, you know, to the script is going to change when it goes into production and it's going to change even more when it goes into editing. And, and it just, it's the nature of the beast. And that's not a bad thing. It's a great process. I love it. I love movies. I just saw something that I could start, you know, immerse myself in a story, you know, see it evolve and put it out to the world. And and so this is my uh, foray into that. And with these first two books and I, I really like, I like how streamlined it is. Yeah. Um, you know, that, I and mean, that's really the, the whole kind of topic of uh, Hollywood versus the author is that that contrast between the the writer, the author who has that absolute control of, of his or her world, um, who, who takes a concept and, and becomes the writer, the director, the cinematographer, the editor, the producer, and, and, and everything. I mean, the only person the author has to really contend with is the editor, you know, once they've got a, a, a publishing deal and hopefully the editor helps the author, you know, create a, a better, you know, a better story. And, and, uh, and then, and then it goes out in the world and then uh, there's direct communication between that author and, and the reader, the reader, you know, gives feedback. I mean, through your website, through emails or whatever, you can have direct communication through panels, through thriller fest, Gaushikan, whatever, you know, places that you go and talk about your book. So that uh, I, um, you know, for, for authors, you know, they're, they, they, most every author I've ever met has also wanted to have a film deal, you know, a TV deal for their book. And they don't really necessarily know what that means. And since I was a development executive for Wolfgang Peterson, you know, I sat on the other side of that desk as well. And I listened to pitches and I, you know, we purchased material and, and we developed projects just like you did at Amazon, you know, where you'd had to go through 20 different drafts of a script you know, we would work with a writer to go through, you know, whatever, five drafts. And then, then we would hire another writer and another writer and another writer. These are all screenwriters. And then ultimately you'd have a script that you felt was ready to go into production and met, you know, the, what the, what the director wanted to see of it. But, you know, film is a director's medium 
And the screenwriter, I don't really know many happy screenwriters. You know, I know successful screenwriters, but they're not really happy unless they have the opportunity also to direct their films. So I think your experience is a little unique in that you are a director and you can have that opportunity to write a screenplay or, or even write a novel and then adapt your own novel to a screenplay. Since you have that experience, you really know what it takes to take a you know, 350-page novel and turn it into a 100-page screenplay, 110-page screenplay, and then, uh, and then take it all the way through to the end of the process by directing it and, and, and managing that vision better than a, a, just an author who sells the rights to his novel and watches it kind of disappear in, the, in, in that process. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I kind of, I did that consciously. And then as I started working on the novels, I, I sort of also saw them as two different beasts. And when you, mm-hmm. when you, when you do the novel, it, it, it has such a different, uh, you know, you're writing in prose. And like you just said, you're, you're filling in all the colors and smells and feelings, you know, by yourself. And it translates very different, as you know, things, some things adapt more easily or better to screen than others. And yeah. I think I think I think you know more like movies and and to me a story is a story you know at least at least as far as plot goes, yeah. but how you yeah. how you see it or how you read it is a different experience, and I'm I'm still yeah. feeling my way with that and you know I I read with a different eye now you know when I read a book yeah. I'm more conscious of the points of view and you know why the author chose that and it, it's it's such a you have different tools to work with, and you know it is a different experience. Yeah. It's not it's not always writing the novel to to see it at, yeah. on the screen, but that's always a possibility. But I know what you mean. I met a lot of authors at Thriller Fest who really were in awe of Hollywood and just thought it was great. And if they could just get their book there, but it's also very very difficult to do that. Very few. Well, I shouldn't say that. people definitely make more movies based on intellectual property that exists now. But it's usually based right. on something that, that reaches a certain amount of success, I think. Yeah, they, I mean, Hollywood wants a safe bet. And a lot of the essays that are in this collection, you know, they, they talk about it. you, you, you got to have an element attached to the property. So it's, it's great to have a property, have an intellectual property that's, that uh, is the source material for the screenplay in the cell. So if it's a novel, that's great. But, you know, Hollywood isn't just taking a novel or even a best-selling novel. They take like an international bestseller. They'll take Gone Girl. You know, they take Harry Potter. Those those are the books that are going to become movies, and those are the ones that really sell huge auction. So just having a novel helps, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to give you much more advantage than than just a, an original screenplay. So when you go in to get a TV series or a feature film, you know, you're going to want to have a, a producer attached, a name producer, some, someone that a studio or a network has confidence in, has worked with before, knows that they can slam dunk this, you know, has a track record. And oftentimes the, the, you know, the, the, the network or the studio is really buying into the relationship of the production company of the lion's gate, let's say, or the, the director, you know, if it's a Spielberg pet project, they're not going to care what the book is or what the screenplay looks like. It's Spielberg. They want to be in business with Spielberg. They're going to do whatever he wants to do. So, and then there's, you know, if you get your project, your book or your screenplay to a, to talent, to a, a major actor, you know, to uh, Ryan Gosling, 
and he makes it his pet project, then that's the attachment that's going to take it through to the end. Again, it, it almost doesn't matter what the screenplay looks like or what the book is about. It's a Ryan Gosling project and people want to be in business with him. So it's, it's, you know, you might have the greatest concept in the world in your novel, but it just might not see its day um, for years and years and years, or it might never see its day. You know, so the, the, the author can't focus too much on, on really what's going to happen with the film rights. Um, the author needs to just keep writing the next and the next and the next novel. And at some point, you know, someone will connect with it that, that is able to push it through into the TV or film world. Um, they just and now those, things, those things have always been true. And I, but it, it doesn't it feel like since streaming has started and since we've reached the golden age of television, the the rules are changing somewhat and and well for one showrunners do have way more power which are showrunners being writer writer producers in television yeah. have way more power than a, a writer in a movie would you would you agree with that yeah a- absolutely they're the producers they're the ones that are are running the game um, but it's this similar situation is that now if you want to have an opportunity to sell your project you know as a TV series. You, you you need to find a showrunner. The showrunner is that that big producer that the networks can trust uh, and has a track record, and they know they can run the show beyond just a, beyond the pilot. You know, so you got to go beyond the book, and then you got to get a pilot, and then you got to get a showrunner. Or or if the showrunner it's it's their pet project, and they're going out and they're pitching it, you know, just as a pitch. Again, the network wants to work with that showrunner. Uh, and so and then again, a, a series like uh, your, your Boulevard and Beat are a series, right? I, I, yeah, yeah. I've started with Boulevard, which uh, I, I'm fascinated it's, with. That's a it's a great character, and I would I would say that a, a series of uh, of books has, has a better chance of becoming a TV show, just because uh, you know, kind of shows you the trajectory of the story and the character. Yeah, I I would think so. I would think if you have a full series, you basically have a very deep, you know, well to draw from, and that and that should show. You know, Michael Connelly's got the Bosch series. It's it's obvious that he can he can have you know a hundred seasons, you know, based on on the Bosch character because he's written you know twenty five books or so in that in that series. So that brings a certain confidence. Although I uh, I don't you know I don't know. It's I've had some very interesting experience about pitching Boulevard, and and it's a it's a very commercial project with a very unique take on on a a, a detective with with a you know a, a frail detective with a serious character flaw and it and because of that it's been it's been a, it's you know, been received very well as as a pitch and and like the very short pitch as you can see it's Dexter meets Californication and people get a sense of the tone kind of right there that, that's um, a great that's a great comparison actually. Yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of how we've gone out and pitched it. But, you know, and I've, and I've been out, um, it's been through a really interesting, you know, series. And I'm still, it, it's, it's like, it's, it's about eight years old now, Boulevard. And, you know, there, there's the moment when the book comes out, and this is so freaking Hollywood, man. It's just like Hollywood is high school, right? Uh, where everyone's looking to see who everyone else is interested in. All the producers, all the students are like, you know, is this hot? Is this hot? Who's looking at it? Who wants it? I want to get it before this guy gets it. You know, that's the town. It's high so, school money. You know, it's high school with money. That's what I think it's Martin Mull that said that. I think that, that you know, so when Boulevard went out, it, it was picked up, uh, you know, shopped around a little bit and it was picked up by a, a big TV producer and uh, and he optioned it. 
And he held on to the option for a year, and then he renewed the option for another six months. So basically, that kind of hot period just kind of was, was let, uh, allowed to kind of just dissipate because he didn't get it off the ground. He, he had a particular director he was going to work with on it, and then their relationship kind of soured, so neither of them could go you know, they, anywhere with the property unless they were together, and they weren't together anymore. And so, so my property just kind of sat there and even renewed the, the option and didn't do anything. But then when it came back to me, suddenly, you know, it's not the hot, uh, the hot girl in the, in the dance anymore. It, it's, it's something that people have supposedly or apparently seen and, and it wasn't picked up. So it had to go through a different iteration. And then I got together with showrunners from a, a kind of a different era, not one of like the real hot young showrunners that are you know out there today. And, uh, and, and, and a young TV director. And we went pitching to Showtime and HBO and, and a few other places. And, uh, we didn't have the clout, you know, we didn't have that mojo. We weren't, we weren't, none of us were the big name. So what we had was a property, you know, an intellectual property and a, and a good pitch, but no executive is going to put their neck out on the line for something like that. Unless you know, it comes to them from a major producer, it's got a star attached or something that they can stick their neck out for. And I, I totally get this because I was a development executive. I, I saw this happening. No one wants to go to their boss, their producer, their director, and say, you know, I think this is a great project. Let's let's buy it and let's develop it. And then it ends up being a stinker, and then you're, you're always attached to that decision that you made. So most people in Hollywood are kind of trained to say no, 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 no. Whether the, the, you know, no matter what the project is, they don't want to stick the neck on the line unless it's a pretty safe bet. So, um, so now I'm going through a different iteration. I've actually written the pilot for, for, uh, for Boulevard. I, was and just I know a couple that. of, yeah, yeah, but I, I was waiting. I was kind of always waiting to get a showrunner involved and let them do that. And then I recently, I had a really interesting situation is I had a, a filmmaker from uh, Vancouver reach out to me on my email and say that he wanted to do a short film version of my book. And there's a showrunner for the, for the TV series, Lucifer who had written him a 15-page uh, adaptation of Boulevard for him to shoot for his reel. And I said, sure, I gave him the rights to do that. And I went to, to Vancouver over the summer and participated in the shooting of the, the film, and it was a lot of fun. And then I thought, why am I, why am I waiting for someone else to write this pilot? I, I know this material better than anyone. And so I wrote the pilot, and now I'm just kind of very cautiously you know, moving it out to different showrunners to, to, to try to go into the market with it at the highest level possible, you know, and not, not kind of repeat the, the mistake I made before by going in, you know, it's just kind of as a novice, you know, it's just the author you know, with some experience. I mean, even someone who's had as much experience as I've had in the industry, it's, you, you need, I need someone with serious mojo to take it under their wing. And, you know, so that's the next, this is Boulevard 3.0 in a sense, you know, the next attempt to try to get it off as a TV series. And if it, doesn't make it as a series, you know, if I can't get it sold to a Netflix or Amazon or, or HBO, then, then I'll write it as a feature screenplay and, and, and get it made uh, independently. I, I do want to see it as a film, a film or a series. It's, it's going to happen someday. It just depends on how that's going to work, you know. I would contend a lot of things are changing now, and I think you have more opportunity because there are, there are so many streaming serv services that really do need properties, and they're, they're you know, how much stuff is out there, yeah. you know, and with Apple and Hulu and all these other places are, are going to all need. And look, a lot of the stuff does get made and never sees the light of day either. You see so many right. TV series yeah. that, that pop up and go right away. And that's, that's, 
when you think of how much work it gets, you know, goes into yeah. a TV series and hiring a staff and of writers and, right. and, and, you know, but, but I think, I think if you have some property and that's what I was going to say, writing the pilot is a great idea because it saves a lot of their work. And if you say, all right, look, it's based on a, a book. We already have, you know, two books yeah. in the series ready to go. So you can see where the, the character is going. And, you know, you, you could see something like that. And, and if you give them the flavor of the pilot, I, I think, you know, why not? It's got a good chance. Yeah, I, I, I feel it's going to happen. I feel the time is right. I mean, when I was first going out, there wasn't, Netflix wasn't making series and Amazon wasn't making series, you know, and, and YouTube and, and Apple. So, yeah, I think this is definitely the right time. So I, I feel somewhat confident. I mean, I'm old enough and I've been through enough. I mean, I'm definitely jaded enough to, to never expect anything. But but I feel that this is the, the the right time, and I do feel I can get off the ground. But I think the my concern now is that I really want to have some control in it. I don't want to just sell it. I you know that's why I wrote the pilot because I want them, I want the producers, and the network to see the vision as I see it, adapted from the novel. And I want to be and I want to participate, you know, in running the the show with the showrunner. And and that that will be probably a little bit more challenging. Is that I want to, I want to be involved, you know all the way through the process. You know, what's interesting about uh, Boulevard and Beat is you have a very, you have a very complex and like you said, flawed character. Obviously you did a lot of research because the, the details are so specific. I'm, I'm assuming you haven't been a policeman, but, but did, policeman. How, how did you approach that two part question? How did you approach uh, the research? And do you think you said that you did that you started about eight years ago? So many things have changed in eight years, probably in, that industry that, that you you know profiled in the story as well and in Los Angeles as, as a backdrop has changed so much do you think for the pilot or the movie you need to change update it yeah I, I've updated it for the pilot and I would definitely you know as the, the pilot has got things like tinder in it now which didn't exist and you know right. back when I wrote and and and, and and different things so I definitely updated it for the pilot as far as research goes you know I, I I started for Boulevard. I didn't have any real context, so I did a lot of book research. I did as as much boots on the ground research as I possibly could. Interviewed uh, as many people as I could. Did like one ride along with the LAPD before they said no, you can't do that anymore. And blah blah blah. When after I finished Boulevard and I started writing Beat, uh, which is set in San Francisco, I went to San Francisco and I said, you know what, I'm not going to be on the radar here. I'm not going to go to media relations. Uh, like I did with the LAPD, and ask permission, basically, to get involved, which then, then they can say no, which at a certain point, LAPD did, said no. So I just kind of, I met a beat cop in, in North Beach and told him what I was doing, interviewed him, took him to lunch. He took me to his precinct and introduced me to his sergeant, and his lieutenant, and his captain, got along with everybody. And before long, you know, every other weekend, I was going up to San Francisco and I was hanging out with the cops and they take me on ride-alongs and to crime scenes and, you know, introduced me to homicide detectives that I could interview and, uh, and on and on and on. It was great. And so, you know, I was six months into doing research and, and, you know, officially I didn't exist according to the SFPD. And yet I'd met the captain, you know, I'd been at one of his press uh, conferences brought in by, you know, one of the, um, I mean, the chief of police, I'm sorry, I met the chief of police because one of the captains I knew brought him in there. And, and you know, I was actually staying at one of the sergeant's uh, house every time I went up there to do research. So that was cool. I, re- I love research. I'm very, very big on research, you know, the details. I want, I want cops to be able to read my books and, and feel that they're real. 
Um, you know, I had the cops in San Francisco read the work before it was published and give me feedback. About 100 p- typed pages of notes just for my conversations with the cops. You know, and the coroner investigators, the stuff that's in Boulevard at the coroner's office. I, I couldn't find an in into the coroner's office, no matter how hard I tried. I, I figured you're usually about three you know, people away from being able to, to get to anybody. But I couldn't, I couldn't find anyone who could get me in the coroner's office. And so I wrote my scenes uh, kind of based on book research. And then I, and then I just kind of, you know, I just took a shot and emailed the chief coroner investigator at, uh, in Los Angeles and asked if I could do a, um, an interview. And he said, come on in, come on and give, I'll give you a tour and an interview. And, and, you know, we spent like three hours with him, did a full tour and interviewed him. And, and I went back and I rewrote all those corner scenes. And now when you read those scenes, those are the things that I saw. I mean, they're, they're absolutely real and very, very intense. And I really tried to translate that experience of walking into a coroner's office, you know, onto the page. And since then, you know, the chief coroner investigator has become a fan and he comes to my book signings and I could call him at any time and ask for advice, you know, on, on what I'm doing. So I love the research. That's great. Are you working on another book, another in the series? I've been, well, it's, you know, the, the Hollywood versus the author took me a couple of years to, to, to call all the authors together to give me their stories. And I wrote the intro and I wrote one of the essays too. So that's kind of been a side project for me. I also went back to, to UC Riverside and got my MFA so I could start some teaching. So I'm doing a little bit of teaching at Emerson College in Los Angeles as well. And, and I've been, and I, and there was another novel that I spent a couple of years working on very, very hard that took place in Amsterdam. And I did some research there and I wrote the whole novel and then I just didn't feel like it was uh, up to snuff. It didn't, it didn't read, you know, to the level of where I should be writing. And, and I ended up tossing it out. I just said, you know what, this isn't, I'm not connecting with this story. I'm not connecting with these characters. And so I put that aside and I've got a couple other projects I'm, I'm working on. And, you know, and then I got kind of sidetracked again, right into the, the pilot for Boulevard and, and chasing that too. So it's, yeah, I'm, I, at some point I'll sit down and I'll really just hone in on another novel. But the problem with writing a novel is that it takes all of your time. You yeah. Know, like, you know, I, I work during the day and so I have to write in the evenings and the weekends and, and my vacation time and sick days and, and holidays and so that's all the time that I could be doing things like laundry, you know, or spending time with my wife and children, you know, things like that that are a little bit more important than, than hunkering down in, in a cafe and, 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 and writing for, for a year. So it's a balance. It's a tough, it's a tough juggling act, you know. It is. Yeah. As you, so do you have, a, you have two, two children, right? Aren't you married? Two kids? I, I do. I have two, two young children. One is nine and one is seven. And, wow. uh, so they're young. So, they're they're and, very and young. How old are your kids? My my kids are are eighteen and twenty. Oh, they're grown. So they're yeah, two boys and and they've been at my side, you know, through all of this riding. It's 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 very fun. You know, they hang out at the cafes with me while I ride. And when my first novel was published, I started doing panels at the L.A. Times Festival of Books. They would come with me and hang out in the green room and meet other authors, and it's just neat for them to grow up you know, in this creative environment where people can, you know, are encouraged to, to do whatever they want to do in their lives. And so yeah, I've yeah. been fortunate to be able to kind of, you know, give them that. So did you so grow I'm up so in Los Angeles? I grew up in New Mexico, actually. Okay. Yeah. Great. You, you know, you grew up in 
Chicago, is it? Or? I grew up in Chicago, and then I, I, I went to uh, University, University of Illinois for undergrad and New York University for graduate school, and then I came out to Los Angeles. So you always wanted to make films? Since you were... You know, that, that's, a, that's a great question. I, 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 uh, at one point, I was thinking back in my college days, I did, I did once... Once want to be a novelist. <laughs> I did. I uh, was. I, I think my earliest love was journalism. I, I was kind of a news junkie, and yeah, I really did. I, I guess when I was a teenager, I really fell in love with movies. And and although I have to say that uh, my love for movies has shifted a little bit, and I think it's partially because movies movies aren't what they used to be. They're a little different, and and you know. Fewer independents are made and are made in the way that I, I like to consume them, and even uh, yeah. even the screeners that I get, you know, each year, I'm, I'm more and more disappointed with what's going on. And and you could probably speak to this, but you know, I think Hollywood is making movies more for the international market than anything else, and they don't necessarily have that internal reflection of, of our society in the way that they used to. And and they're not yeah. always as relatable. They're more fantasy driven and and more bombastic and big budget. Spectacles, which some kind they could be great, but it's it's you know not what it used to be. It, it's really interesting because you know when I was with Wolfgang's company, it was in the '90s, and and the independent film world had, had just you know arrived, Sundance and independent channel film channels, well, and and so that's where all the real creativity was happening was in the independent scene, and 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 even the Hollywood films. You know, in the line of fire was you know one of the movies that Wolfgang had made, and that and that was a that was a good that was something of a classic. Das Boot, you know, is what brought him over to the U.S. and that beautiful foreign film. So I used to watch a lot of independent films, a lot of foreign films, and that's that's how I saw the world. You know, and and you know I loved Scorsese. I grew up on Scorsese and Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and you know Midnight Cowboy and all these really great edgy films of the seventies. And and that's where my head is when I think of movies. Right, me too. When the seventies were amazing in that period, and then the nineties definitely. That's when when I was in film school and coming out of film school. That that's what I fell in love with. I love I love that ethos and that sensibility. And so I've really noticed it changing a lot in the last five six years. And of course, TV has gotten better, and and that's not a bad thing. And and in a, in a way, TV is more more like novels. It's more like a more yeah. deeper layered yeah. ongoing stories. I do I do like the the movie structure that you have a, a, a complete, yeah. a completed story in two hours. To me, that's, that's perfect. Absolutely. I, I had to be convinced by both my book agent, my film agent and my film manager to think of Boulevard as a TV series and not as a feature film. Yeah. Because they all said, you've got to pitch this in TV. TV's where it's at. That's where all the creativity is. That's where these kind of stories are being told, you know, and my instinct is to, I mean, I wrote the novel thinking, of a feature film. It's, it's like taxi driver, you know, it's a, it's like the bad Lieutenant, you know, it's a, it's a beginning, middle end. You can consume it all in one sitting. It's not designed, you know, it, it's a kind of a foreign concept for me to sit down and think of taking a story and stretching it out over 10 episodes and, you know, creating different dilemmas based on a central motif, you know, and, and different dilemmas and different characters, and different lives that aren't really central to what the, 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 the original story was, you know? Right, um, and the original story is. has a beginning, middle, and end, and, and you finish it. And uh, Flamingo yeah. Coast is like that for me, too, because that's a, that's a character that definitely could be serialized, and I have yeah. had interest in from, from TV and film. And I, 
would prefer a film just because I love going, you know, I love seeing a movie, but yeah. I, I'm starting to wrap my head around TV now because I, I see its potential and, and, and it would be yeah. great to continue a, a character that you spent so much time with uh, developing and see, see yeah. them on other adventures. If, if you can, if you can continue the strength of it all the way through, because they, they all do run out of steam eventually, don't they? They do. I don't know how you get over that. You know, maybe the one series that I've seen that, that has managed to kind of take it right through to the end and they, you know, had a very specific ending at a certain point was Breaking Bad. That kept me going, you know, all the way through to the end, although there were, you know, there were some episodes here and there that, that, that weren't nearly as strong. But, but that, you know, mostly, you know, they do run out of steam and then they just fall apart and they should have, you know, stopped a long time ago. Um, yeah, and you know what's I interesting? Do, I just saw the Romanoffs, which is kind of interesting. Because it's it's a series. I, I guess they. I think they did eight episodes. Each one was a different length, but approximately an hour <laughs> or more. And yeah. they all had a continuing uh, theme or, or a commonality that 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 somebody in the story was related to the Romanoff family. However, they're all standalone movies, basically, yeah. which is kind of interesting. And yeah. some are better than others, but it's it's that that's a fun way to approach it too. And I think we're going to yeah. see a lot of creativity coming up in different ways to a. Approach the structure yeah, of formats. That is cool. That is something that's different than the the old model. It's it's outside of the box. I like what they're doing with Fargo. You know, they'll give you a, a ten part you know season that's a particular story, and then the next season is a different story that is you know somewhat related to the Fargo theme. I'm trying to find some longevity in a, in a concept. Sure. Yeah. That I think is very unique, and and that is a, you know able to keep it very sharp. You can have different writers on, you know, each season if you want, or different directors. They're almost like a whole new project with the with the branding that made it successful to begin with. The Black Mirror stuff I think is pretty brilliant. I, I love those. Yeah, those, them. Are, those are terrific. They, they remind me of amazing stories back in the day where you know you had those Spielberg, yeah, yeah. yeah standalones, which were kind of neat. Yeah, but they've got the central through line that comes from the creator of the series itself who is who you know is someone who thinks about the, he's a futurist and he and he thinks about all these things and technology and his mind is just really really interesting you know and you want to see where he's going with it uh, i don't know if you have you watched counterpart by any chance i haven't no uh, that that is brilliant it's a beautiful that's the, to me that's the best thing on tv right now and it's on the stars network okay i'll um, check that out that is, it's, got, it's had one season, the new season is just now, the second season is just coming out now. But really, really well-written, great characters, great actors, and it's the kind of thing that, that you would like, I'm certain, because of the types of you know, films you, you're telling me that you, that you like. This, you'd like this one. Well, we're definitely, you know, it's, it's interesting to be writing books, too, and it's, it's definitely, we're definitely about to see a lot more crossover, I think, you know, as, as our conversation started, uh, you know, into TV and film, and you know, from novels. And I think that we're, I think, I think there are going to be more and more opportunities to, to take a story that you've developed so fully in a book yeah. onto the screen. I, th I think that that's, it's inevitable. Yeah. I did see the South Park episode. Kids are like, you know, trying to get something made at Netflix. And when they call <laughs> Netflix, the guys at, the guys at Netflix pick up at the phone, they say, this is Netflix. You're greenlit. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's how they answer right. the phone. It, it may. Yeah, I hope that's yeah, then, then what happens to the quality, I guess, is, is the next question. Right. You know, exactly. we have so much content out there. I mean, when you think about it, you drive down uh, Sunset Boulevard, you know, and you see like yeah. uh, billboards for, you know, YouTube channels and, you know, yeah. 
all these all these different you know, where who finds these things first of all who has time to watch all these things you know yeah you know as yeah. you say you get you know you have your job you have your family you have you know try to find your writing time and you try to consume yeah. the content that's out there and even keeping up it becomes more of a job than it ever has you know when we, when we yeah. started out you know you knew every movie that was out there or at least knew yeah. of it you know and you were familiar yeah. and and my yeah. movie movie watching has gone from probably I don't know, 50 movies a, a year to five in a theater. Yeah, I try to see, I don't know, maybe I'll see, maybe I'll see 10 movies a year now in the theater. I mean, I, that's really where I prefer to see a film. You know, and then five Absolutely. of them are going to be, uh, you, know, you know, Marvel comic movies now, you know? And so it's like, where are the great films, the Forrest Gumps or something that I would normally have you know, seen in a different era. We, de you know, we definitely there's, there's... start seeing a squeeze of the, the mid-range movie and the, the dramas and the, and the $30 million movie de definitely got squeezed out, you know, about five, yeah. six years ago. And, and it, it didn't make a, a good business model anymore. I mean, they're still making them and, and they're some great ones, but yeah, things have shifted. Things are different. And yeah, the movie going experience is still special and great, especially for certain movies um, that you want to experience that way. But whenever I go to the you know, the regular theater with my kids or the, or, or with my wife, the theater's empty. Huh, really? Going? That's pretty weird. It, it is. I, weird. I maybe my, well, I guess it depends on the time that you go and the weekend. Yeah, we, go, go. we go at two in the afternoon. What's wrong with that? Yeah. yeah it'll be empty then. I can see yeah, that. I don't understand. But no, I just think, I, I just think, you know, people do watch at home more and stream more and have better sure. you know, TVs and, and not yeah. everybody is like us where we were, we want to see a pure film on a big screen the way it was yeah. meant to be, you know. I don't want to watch a Scorsese movie on my phone either, you know. But kids today, you have an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old, they do watch yeah. on their phones. And they, do, they, don't, they don't care how they're – I see a lot of people reading books on their phones. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I can't do that. I, I really enjoy having an actual book in my hands. I'm definitely old school, you know. I'd rather carry – five heavy books in a backpack and drag it around the U.S. if I'm traveling than to have, you know, a hundred books on my Kindle. Although I, I've adapted to the iPad because, first of all, the, it's it's backlit so you could read in bed and that yeah. makes it easy. And it's it's great to, when you go traveling, when you're on a plane and you have, a, you know, 50 books in your queue. So right. yeah. you don't have to carry them around. Yeah. So there's an advantage. I haven't, I haven't made that, that transition yet. And, you know, maybe someday I will. I just, I really don't like reading like it. Someone's going to send me a script to read or a book. I tell them, send me a hard copy. I, I really don't want to read it off of, a, of an iPad. You know, I, I, I want to be able to scribble notes on the side of the page. And that's just my process. You know, from being a development executive back in the 90s, you know, that's how I read a script and that's how I, that's how I consume it. And that's how I am able to, to make notes, you know, as opposed to seeing it in on a screen. Are you doing, are you doing audio books yet? Uh, the only audio book uh, books I listened to were, were Boulevard and Beat. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool. I just really wanted to see how that translated in, into audio. And it was a fascinating experience for me because it was the first time that I actually sat back and listened to my stories as if I were just a, a, a reader or a consumer. It, it, was, it was wild. I really I liked it. But I wouldn't, I, I still prefer to read. And I, I, I'm more of a visual, you know, I, I I perceive information better through reading than through uh, through my my ears, you know. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. Some people love audiobooks. I I, I want to like audiobooks, but every time I try, I just 
I just pick up the book and start reading. Well, you might, you know, I always think it'd be interesting if you get an audio book deal for, for your book, you know, sit back and listen to it because it's a, it's a trip. I, I started, um, I, I, I started with my first book and it, and it did make me cringe. You, you listened to someone else reading it or? Um, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, it, it was uh, produced by Blackstone. So I did listen to oh. the actor that read it and uh, it, it wasn't his fault. It was just, it's, it's weird yeah. for me to hear my words out loud and I just, I'd rather read them. <laughs> yeah. So, so. So Blackstone is where I had both of my audiobooks done as well. And my narrator was a guy named Ray Porter. I don't know if you had Ray or not. But no. it was a funny story because when we got the audiobook deal, I was very excited. And I told my agent, my New York agent, I said, I'm so excited I can be able to be reading my book. I've always wanted to do this. And he said, you're not reading the book. They have, they have professionals who did this, do this. They have narrators. Yeah. And I said, well, I want to read my book. And he said, well, if you, if you do that, you're going to have to audition to do that. Uh. I said, okay. Well, so, sometimes, sometimes they do have the authors read them, but it, it depends. You have a good voice. You could do it. Well, you know, that's what I thought. Right? So <laughs> I, I, I went you didn't the pass the audition, stage. though, did you? I, I know I did a, what I thought was a pretty damn good job on an audition. You know, I, I taped it, and I sent it to them. And, uh, and then the president of Blackstone sent me back an email and said, you know, dear Mr. Schwartz, you have a very lovely voice. We regret However, to tell you that... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, however, we have professionals who do this. You know, they're actors. They do this, and they rec they recommended you know a particular guy who who does the the thrillers, and they said take a listen to him. And I and I listened to some of his samples, and I got it right then. I said, I get it. This guy's an actor. He's he he doesn't just read. He he performs. You know the parts. You know all the different parts. And he's yeah. Plus, really, he has to really do it for like it. seven hours. So I don't know if you have that stamina. Yeah. Oh, at least no. It's. I don't know. If they could do it for seven hours, I, I'd be surprised, actually. Because I, I have done, for Hollywood versus the author, we all did our own you know, essays. And so I had the introduction, I had the essay. We got to do read our own parts for the audio. And I was in there for six hours just on an intro and my essay. And then I had some back and forth because I interviewed a couple of people. And that was six hours. And I was completely wiped out, exhausted by the end of the day. I mean, I went straight home and went right to bed and slept for 10 hours. <laughs> it is not easy, man. It is so hard. So I, I give I give props to these guys. They are they are really really good, and I respect yeah. it. And I look at that. And say, you know what? That's something I'm not going to do in my life. I'm not going to be an audiobook reader. That's you know, a good I gig for, for an actor. Yeah, it's a great gig. Yeah. 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 All right, they are waving at us to to wrap it up. Oh. So uh, it's okay. been it's been great talking to you. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm look. I'll give you a note when I finish Boulevard, and and then I'll uh, I'll start beat. Yeah, well, thanks, and I will I will get into the second sun and and flamingo. Uh, what is flamingo? Flamingo coast, yeah, and that comes out in January. Okay, cool. So I'll get into that. I've got a copy of that in in the, in my car as well too. Um, yeah, flamingo coast. But and, and your writing is great, and your filmmaking is great. I, I can't wait to see all that you do in, in your career. I'll be following it, man. Thank you. You too, and, and great talking to you. Yeah, let's stay in touch, Marty. Okay, take care.